So you light bold red wine most of the time With notes of fig and raisin You like a cold brew and pitching horseshoes As the sun is fading You like football games and dishing out nicknames But Godfather's one and two But not so fast, we got them podcast We like that too we like that too. We like that too. We like that too. We like that too. Hey, Bon Vivants, welcome back to the We Like That Too podcast. I am Brad Jones, and of course, joining me is the head Bon Vivant, Mr. Keith Inloo. Hello, everybody. Great to have you back. Well, this is different. <laughs> this is going to be fun. Two boys on the road, three boys on the road. That's right. In, yeah. in a dangerous city. And we warned you we were going to do this, so it's coming to fruition. Yeah, we are it's in not, It's not like you city. were not warned. We That's are right. in Nashville, Nashville Tennessee. Tennessee, Music City, and we've had a, we've already had a good time. We did last night. Yes, we did. Ate some good food. We did. Drank some good stuff. Heard yes. some great music. We did hear some great music. Unbelievable music, yeah. And you know that's the fun thing about Nashville. Anywhere you go, you hear good music. I wish Southern Broadway. I wish it would. I wish it would pick up a little bit, though. You know, yeah. there's just if, not enough. If they could just get more people. There's to not come enough out. people down there. Good yeah. grief! There All needs right. to be more bachelorette parties down there. You, you know, know, we being on the road. Uh, we might as well get this out of the way right off the bat. Being on the road, you know, we packed up all of our cords and mics and headphones and all that kind of stuff and setting it up. You and I are not the most technically astute well, people on the planet. We, we get by, we're, but we're getting better. When we were plugging stuff <laughs> we're in, it, it just made me think about how technology has changed. And we, we were speaking with our guest, who I'll let you introduce earlier, about technology and what it's done for everything. And I think about my parents, even myself sometimes, uh, people who need technical help. Uh, and, you know, one of our sponsors... Missouri River Regional Library. Libraries can offer that technical help. They offer one-on-one tech help on stuff like that if you need it. You know, locally where we are in Jefferson City, it's Missouri River Regional Library. Check them out. And I'm sure your library, wherever you are, can do the same thing for you. I'd be very uh, very surprised if they couldn't. But so, if you ask for help in a library, you have to ask for it very quietly. Very quietly. Very, very, very yes. Very quietly. That's right. I don't even think they do that quiet thing too much anymore, do they? It's I more don't of a know. it's more of a robust yeah, sort of it's fun a, sort of a place. Yeah, it's, 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 it's you know we we've talked about this before. The library is not just a, a place for old books anymore. It's that's got right. so much other stuff that's going right. on. So support your local library, and we certainly appreciate Missouri River Regional Library for sponsoring the show. So yes, as we discussed last time too, you know I don't know if. Um, Brent Burns got a new stylus maybe when he was using the library at Alexandria. But, um, yeah. Yeah, there's a couple things put together I thought I'd never hear before. Brent Burns and a stylus. So, wow. So those dulcet tones that you just heard are from our guest today. And boy, are we excited to have him. And Brad, you know this gentleman more than I do. I just met him. So I'm going to let you introduce him. Well, it is a, it is a thrill actually for me because he is a singer, song, Songwriter, he is in the country 
Music Broadcasters Hall yeah. of Fame. Yeah. He is uh, a member of the uh, of the elite core of broadcasters in a town that uh, country music is king, and we're going to talk all about that here in a little bit. Bill White, welcome to the We Like That Two podcast. Thanks for having me, guys. I thought you might have been on Lower Broadway because I heard a lot of loud drunk screaming off a pedal tavern, and I'm figuring it was you two guys last night. We didn't get too loud. We were absorbing and intaking a lot of things. We but, went and uh, heard that. <laughs> we were at the boogie bar. We to, at the boogie bar? Went, yeah. and, went and heard uh, Stacy Mitchard last oh, night. Oh, he's, he's great. My gosh. He plays at B.B. King's a lot, too. Yeah, he's yeah, great. What a yeah. great performer. Well, yeah. he, he's great. And his, we talked about his backup. And his band is great. They are tight. And oh, they are, man. Yeah. They know what they're doing. And multi-talented. A lot of them were playing multiple instruments and stuff so yeah yeah and you guys hit on it earlier in this town you can go into the worst looking dive bar you can find and the music right. will just knock your socks off yeah. i it, mean it's, it's ridiculous it's good yeah, everywhere it is yeah. well we were talking about uh, maybe saturday afternoon might not be quite as busy as you'd be surprised was, I, uh, yeah. I, 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 we yeah. may be we yeah. may be i mean they start playing in the mornings down there. yeah oh so, i know it yeah. i know it well, well you know you can't Drink all day if you don't start early. Right? So said, uh, so said uh, a wise Mr. Shepherd, wasn't it? Yeah, I, I believe that Shepherd said that. It might, have been, said that. It might yeah. have been, might yeah. have been Mr. Shepherd. Yeah. So, Bill, you are also a native Missourian, the pride of Montgomery City, Missouri. Born and raised, yep, a wildcat. And uh, we went to Ellsbury where I finished my high school and then uh, was the first in my family to go to college over at Warrensburg as a Central Missouri State University mule. Are you a mule? I'm a mule also. Now, see, I went because they selected me in Boy State. Yeah. To go there, they yeah. had Boy State at sure, Warrensburg, right. yeah. so that's the only college campus I knew about. So I just said, "Well, right. I'm going to go to Warrensburg," but I had no idea that the mascot was going to be a jackass. <laughs> had I known, I'd have made a shorter trip and gone to Columbia, maybe. Yeah. So, yeah. and I have two jackasses right here on, on the podcast today, so I'm out. I'm outnumbered. But thank you, thank you very much. You're welcome. Mules uh, and Jennies. Yeah, mules, mules and Jennies. Yeah. That's right. Yeah, that's right. It's a, it was a great place to go to school. Oh, I, I loved it. I loved it. I, 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 I liked it so much I stayed six years. No, so. it took your time, did you? Yeah, I was on the six-year so. program. <laughs> I put a daughter through college. I know that. You know, yeah. I know that deal. Some yeah. people that go to school that long, they call doctor or lawyer. But no, I'm just a, just a regular just guy. Just a student. Yeah. Just yeah. a student. Yeah. But you started when, – when you started, though, I, I was trying to put the chronology together of your life, and that's a little difficult when you look at your bio and then you start reading through some of the things you've done on your Facebook page, and you are a pro prolific facebooker yeah so yeah. uh we always Criminal. know we always know what you're up to but um when you started then when did you get the the music bug then you you played though the french horn uh, yeah which i let's go there yeah in high school band you know i wanted to play trumpet but they had everybody wanted to play trumpet yeah. so the band leader made me play uh, epiphone and then transferred to French horn, which is a left-handed instrument. The only redeeming value in a French horn is it has a spit valve, so you can have fun with that. Well, that's fine. You know, but other than that, you're pretty much papa, papa, papa. So my lesson is here: moms and dads that are listening, don't let your kids grow up to be French horn players because it's my experience <laughs> that no real band ever ask a French horn player to get up and jam. Never yeah. happens. So and, unless and, you're going to go to a fox hunt. <laughs> 
You know, that's about your only shot, you know, with the French horn. Then there's I the do. whole then there's the, there's the whole chicks aspect. I mean, yeah. Yeah. I it's mean, not a chick it's not a, it's not it's a chick not, magnet it's for It's not a chick instrument. Yeah, unless no. you're sitting adjacent to a chick French horn player in the band and then or the orchestra and then that Or a French play. chick maybe, yeah. you know. I mean, no, that, that could work too. I, I'm not sure. That could I, work too. I do love of all the brass instruments, I do love the tone of a beautiful French horn, you know, it's well, just Well, that so, is that's your so problem, Keith. I mean, there's a there's a Self-help program for that, I believe. One of, one of many. So, please back away from the French horn. Well, you know, it's always my duty to keep us on track right here, and the subtitle of the program is One Bottle. That's so true. So before we go, and I do have a lot of questions, but before we go too much further down the road, we should probably start drinking. Well, here's what we wanted to do. Um, I wanted to pay homage to Nashville, and so last night we went to one of your uh, fine liquor establishments, and <laughs> of which there are many, and I wanted to find, because you said you're a beer drinker. Yeah. And uh, so we found one that we really liked. I mean, these guys were, were very, very, very helpful. They were sampling last night. They were actually yeah. sampling from this brewery, and this is called Nothing Fancy, but this is New Heights Brewing, which is right downtown nashville i've not been i don't know and so we tried this one and we really liked it it's crisp it's clean um give it a shot see what see what you think okay because uh i really 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 liked it so brad we've talked about this before i'm i love beer but i don't drink a lot of it but is the nose on a beer important? Do you smell it before you drink it? I that's a wine habit. Sometimes for me. no, no. Actually, you do because you've got if you've got IPAs, you've got stouts. There's uh, it's it's kind of like smelling a loaf of bread. You know, different kinds of bread smell differently. You know, a loaf of rye smells different than sourdough, and well, so you can get notes uh, from beer. This does have a light, clean. It's nose very light. On it. What do you think, Bill? Well, I'm I'm not an expert drinker, you know, first of all, but it tastes a little hoppy, you know, maybe to me, too. You can taste that. You know, independent crafts, it always has a little bit of this taste to me, you know. So uh, I'm a pretty – I'm a, a really boring drinker, you know. So, <laughs> well, you it, know. It's got a beautiful golden color, and I I don't like heavy, dark beers like Guinness and stuff like that. I, I prefer something light and crisp, and the color kind of gives it away even before you, you taste it. It's a beautiful golden color that's – Translucent. Well, that would actually it. be one of my top three beers is a Guinness, and uh, but only because I had it in Ireland. Right. Well, uh, I've it, heard people re- say that poured, yeah, poured the proper way. Yeah, right. poured the proper yeah. way. Yeah. And, and there's something about when you're in the moment. If you're in a country and it's their thing, it embellishes the whole thing a little bit. Then when you get back to the states and you drink the same beer, you go, I don't know if I like it as much as I liked it yeah. at the at the brewery. You know, uh, when we were over there, my daughter. We married my daughter in Northern Ireland, so we had a, a week to really absorb that part of the country and got around to some of the pubs and the bars. And I really got hooked on the Guinness most, while I was over there. Most beer drinkers that I know do like Guinness. And so I, yeah. I don't think that's unusual. But this is very light, crisp, clean. I think um, it's good. And I, I, there's something else that I like about this, too. Evidently, they also contribute to the uh, Folds of Honor uh, oh, nice. for Tennessee. Now, that's a great thing. Yeah, yeah, and they've got pretty red, white, and blue. Um, you just want to salute this beer right here. Yeah, I'm, so, I'm all for anybody that yeah. has anything to do with waving the flag for our troops. Well, yeah. and, and which one is the – what's the name of this one, Brad? This, this is called this, – this New is Heights. Called nothing, yeah, it's from New Heights uh, Brewing Company, but this is called Nothing Fancy. I think that name's appropriate. It is a very straightforward, uh, really yeah. nice beer. 
But New Heights, when we were down there last night at the liquor store and they were sampling, they had several varieties out. He probably had seven or eight different cans. He did. So this is not the only one. He did tell us that they are currently a a Tennessee-only product. But new breweries, new distilleries often have to start distribution regionally, so that's not unusual. If you're in the Nashville area, keep a lookout for New Heights. We recommend it. Maybe someday it'll be Man, in the city I, near I, you. I, I grew up in, in you know near St. Louis like you guys did near yeah. enough that uh, through through the years I have found it really hard to find a good fall staff or a stag. You know, and I've looked and I've looked and you can't yeah. hardly find one. You know, well you're not looking in the right place. <laughs> you need to go back to Montgomery City. I guess we, I do. we can find you some stag. You believe me? Some steak, on purpose. Steak, steak, <laughs> is stag brewing company still in Belleville, Illinois. Um, I don't know. Or did they sell or close? down i can't remember i don't know what's so, so i don't even know what would be the iconic i mean budweiser obviously when you go domestic but outside of that in missouri what's what's an iconic beer well down? you got some others that uh you got mothers uh See, I don't know this. that's down yeah. springfield and you've got log, uh, log, boat. log boat log boat in columbia and over in Kansas City, you've got Boulevard. Boulevard, Boulevard has several lines. Boulevard's probably gotten to be yeah. the biggest of the of what you call the independent yeah. breweries. Yeah. So anyway, thank you, Nashville, yes. for uh, providing us thank an opportunity. New thank you, New Heights. And uh, I'm taking some home. There you so go. there you go. Enhancing the Nashville economy one beer at a time. So I'm going to ask Bill something. Because I like, I kind of like to start at the very beginning, you know, sort of like Julie Andrews with the, and with the, the, fr- with the French horn. Yeah. yeah. What got you into music to begin with? I mean, did, was your family musical anything like my, that even before the band? My mom played uh, piano okay. uh, in in a little one room Baptist church, New Hope, Missouri, a little nothing town just outside of Ellsbury. Been there. And they decided to, that they would put the family to work, and so my two brothers and two sisters joined my mom and dad as a seven part family and sang some of those old gospel songs. Sure. And churches for a while. So that's where I really first got on my feet. And then my mom, I never learned to play the piano, but my mom ordered a guitar when I was young from Sears, you know, when you could order one Sears Robo. for about 18 bucks, a yeah. Sears Silvertone guitar yeah. in a box, cardboard box. And those old guitars, the strings are about five miles off the fret and, and it'll make your fingers bleed. And my mom found that out, I think, pretty quickly and gave up on the guitar and just put it over in the corner. Well, one day I'm 16 years old, 15, 16 years old in, in an FFA class with a good buddy. And after sure. class, he says, I want to show you something. And in the backseat of his car, he had a guitar. And, and he, he showed me with two fingers how to make a G chord. And I just thought that was magical. Yeah. And he said, you know, he said, there's this family that I'm learning to play guitar with out in a farmhouse. And he said, I go out there and said, you should come with me. So I thought, I'd love to do that. So I'm on the basketball team, and I skip basketball practice one night, and I go out to the farmhouse with him. Man, wife, and their son are all playing music, three-chord, old-style country music, and I thought it was just magic. You know, it just lit me up. So when I got home, I dug my mom's old guitar out of that that box, and that's the first guitar. Well, I think I did that twice, skipped basketball practice twice, not thinking there would be repercussions from that. And went yeah. home one night, and my dad said, is there something you want to tell me, boy? <laughs> you know? He says, why are you not at basketball practice? And so... I told them that boy, my mom had a gasket because she thought she said, "I don't, you don't want to do. You're going to wind up playing in bars," and she didn't want any part of that. And I said, "Mom, just come meet this family. Just come," because they were really sweet people. So she did. 
and uh, and she loved them. And then I got her blessing. And of course, that's the way families go. They become your biggest fans after that, after you start playing and getting sure. a little band, which I did at 16. Uh, but she was right. I wound up in bars for a big part well, of my life. You know, after where the that. people are. But that's how know. I first got the bug. And I formed a little band when I was 16 years old and 18, got my first radio job. So my career has bounced back and forth between radio and music for a very, very long time. I'm truly blessed that I really found what I, I love at such a young age because I've never gone anywhere else except down those two roads ever since then. Well, when you love what you do, you're not, you never, you never go to work exactly right. 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 day in life. So you got into radio at a young age too. 18. Yeah. I got I got to yeah. ask one question though. What I love the, yeah, I, I know love what you're going to ask. Yeah. What was the name of that band? It was the country boys. Boy, the first one. Boy, you spent a lot of time the on that one. Boys. <laughs> you guys really stretched that. And then <laughs> when we got really creative, we called it the Bill White Band. You oh, know? wow. And there was a Bill White in the Short Line Express for a while, too. And in that band came two guys who went on to play here in Nashville for a lot of years, a guitar player from Winsville who uh, left and played guitar first for Billy Crash Craddock and then Crystal Gale and then Barbara Mandrell and Brenda Lee. And the drummer, Randy Wright from Wright City, Missouri, became the Barbara Mandrell band leader during their TV year. So both oh, wow. of those guys have had long, long careers. And we were all 17, 18 years old back there with a little four-piece band at that time. The you Short guys Line all Express. made it big then from a three, little, little. Three of the yeah. four, you know, for nice. sure, stayed in music, you know, yeah. so. All Missouri boys. How all about, Missouri that's boys. Cool. That's cool. Yeah. That is neat. Yeah, yeah. very neat. Do you uh, do you see them? Do you? Occasionally, and uh, they're both very busy like I am, but we have gotten together several times, you know. Keith was about there. Um your broadcast career then 18 uh, years old this is a pretty good story 18 years old i'm driving down a country road near where i lived and i turned on 1530 a.m which was a country radio station and i heard a voice i knew and it was a kid who was in an ffa chapter not that far from where i was that so, i had competed against so for bon vivants out there because we do have a global audience ffa is future farmers yes, of america future almost farmers. every high school rural high school uh, has an ffa program because people live and work and maybe going into agriculture as a career right so it's a it's a preparatory organization for future well, this farmers. is interesting too because i sucked at farming you know but <laughs> but my ffa teacher was a forward thinker and he 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 really saw I think what was in he actually bought me a guitar and he got me into debating and parliamentary procedure sure. and up on my feet yeah. you know which has been invaluable tool for the rest of the rest of my life so anyway so I'm listening to this other kid that I competed against with in public speaking contest on the radio Steve Whitmore was his name and I thought wow that is the coolest thing and i said you know i beat that guy in these contests and if he could do that why can't i do that so i drove 30 minutes north found this radio station it was in a one-bedroom trailer in a cow pasture right kpcr radio which stands for cow pasture country radio (laughs) i'm not kidding and uh and i went in as a little 18 year old kid and just said i'd like to be on the radio and and it was a you know mom and pop owner the guy was the engineer did everything there and he said welcome and he took me in the studio and he said you need to audition and it was 45 rpm records you You know back then and he said here's the records there's how you put the needle on there here's this 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 and he left 
and I was on the air for 30 minutes while he was in another room. Oh, my God. Boy, that's and throwing you in the deep this end. This is right at the time I started my freshman career at uh, Warrensburg at yeah. Central Missouri. Yeah. And I no more than got there and got a typed letter from them saying, congratulations, from this point on, you'll be our weekend warrior. So I would do Saturday and Sunday shifts. And this will tell you how ate up I was with both of those because I would I never got to stay a weekend in, after classes because right. when Friday classes ended, that's near Kansas City, as you know, and that's, I live near the St. Louis side. That's yeah. across, so that's I would drive state, three yeah. hours across the state on a Friday, and we had a little Opry show at the time in a little town called High Hill, and I'd stop and do a Friday night Opry show, drive another 30 minutes to my mom and dad's house and sleep, get up and go to Bowling Green, another 30 minutes north, and I would work from uh, noon until sunset. Those were sunrise and sunset radio stations right. they used to have. Right. Those that was their log on. You could log only off, operate. Yeah. yeah, so so I would shut the transmitter down, and then I would make a beeline back to that Opry for a Saturday night show, back to my dad's house, and sign on the radio station the next morning, work till noon, and then drive all the way to Kansas City and start classes. And I wow. did that for four years. And in the summer... I worked full time at the radio station and the band. We had a little band, so the band played and I did radio shifts. So that's how I ate up. I, I, I was with it. Wow. That is, that is so. broadcast boot camp 101 it, it and is. everything all rolled up into one. It you know, is. That, you uh, really didn't have much time to get in trouble in college. No, so. no, yeah. I didn't. And it's odd. I chose mass media as my major and really because I was hands on at the time, I, I kind of knew everything they were teaching me. So we wanted, there wasn't a whole lot there. Yeah. The college experience was great, but it's, that's one of those careers where you really don't take your diploma and it helps you a whole lot they want to know what you can what your skill set is and yeah. are you funny and are you entertaining it's, it's those kind of things interestingly so. enough uh bill my wife was also in the mass comm department at oh. then cmsu she's from sedalia and she was the sunday morning country radio dj on kdro radio in sedalia and do you so, know johnny nice uh, she probably does. He was a he was a friend. Of, he's the first guy that took me to Nashville, and he was a DJ at that radio station. Yeah, we became I'm fast sure she friends. Knows him. The name yeah. sounds familiar, but yeah. uh, she used to spin the biscuits, as they say. Oh, yeah. spin the biscuits! Spin the biscuits. <laughs> Forty fives. Yeah, I've never heard that one. Yeah. Spin the biscuits. So, at what point then did you go to KPCR? That's the first station I was at. That yeah, was the KPCR, very first, and then the I worked a little at KWRE. Oh, that's the cow pasture. <laughs> yeah, that was the cow pasture. And then I worked a little at KWRE Radio, which is in Warrenton, Missouri. And then I kind of got out of radio for a, a long while because, and stop me if I go too long. These stories are ridiculous, but I got out of radio because the band was making so much more money than I was making in radio. Well, at the I was going to say if you've got you've got a dual track going on, did one of them start to start yeah. to kind of emerge? And that's as happened the a winter. couple of times where I just kind of went back and forth. So the band kind of took over and then you know through the years i wound up going to cincinnati ohio with a band for a gig and lo and behold in walks uh, a, a guy that was a kid with me on kpcr radio his name is duke hamilton he started as an 18 year old kid there too and i'd lost track of him he'd gone to the navy worked for the armed forces radio network worked in quincy illinois a little bit but i totally and here he is he's the program director at the big country radio station in cincinnati and he came in uh, for the radio station because they're sponsoring our night we're playing and I, I couldn't believe I was looking at Duke Hamilton. That's his, that's his name. And he said, Bill, he said, you should come back into radio. And I said, well, I got this band. He said, well, come in on like Sundays. And so I would come in on Sundays and bring my own vinyl and do an oldies show from a separate studio for them. And that's how I got my foot in the door in major market radio. And that led to a morning shift eventually, which is another amazing story. But what's really cool about it is Duke Hamilton went into the country radio broadcasters hall of fame before I did. So two boys from that cow pasture. Oh. That 
wow. up in the Country Radio Broadcast Hall of Fame. Wow. That's, that is amazing. Yeah, that is yeah, amazing. Yeah, the odds are ridiculous that that could happen. So. Yeah, that's a very rural, uh, sparsely populated area. So you're Very exact, much. Yeah, the odds are extraordinary that that would happen. Very much yeah. so. So then yeah. what was going on with the band then? Which which so, band? So which, I was playing was, in a band, and when and I was doing the Sundays for them. The band was playing five nights a week in Cincinnati. We played this one club, and then we became a house band for two years. The owner decided he wanted to make a change. I'd met my wife there, and I didn't want to go on the road anymore and replace band members. And I called Duke, and I said, "Duke, man, I said I could use a you know a job or something. Well, come in. He said, "We'll teach you to be a music director." So I went in and I cleaned floors and learned a little bit about cards and computers, whatever they needed me to do for very little money, and. Uh, then they had a change in in bosses, program directors. The morning guy had been there 17 years, a solo guy, and he played a little guitar, too, and had a little weekend band. So we were friends. And there was a story that broke out about the home state savings taking all the money of citizens over in Newport, Kentucky. And Newport is right across the Ohio River from mm-hmm. Cincinnati. And uh, so I went home and wrote this funny parody song off of seven Spanish angels into seven Newport angels about because Newport was kind of the, the, the their image was prostitution and gambling and drinking in the day. You know, they'd worked hard to clean it up. But in the day, that was their reputation. So I changed it to seven Newport angels, about seven uh, Newport prostitutes moaning that they'd screwed them out of all of their money. And so I wrote it, and I showed it to the morning guy at the time. Larry B. was his name, and, and he and I with the guitars just went in a little simple studio, played guitars, and sang the song. Well, he starts playing it after a brand-new boss had just been announced, and he had no more than gotten there, and he went to Nashville for the country radio seminar. So Larry plays the song two, three times or whatever, and I go home that night, and on the NBC affiliate on the news that night is the mayor of Newport, Kentucky, Calling us out and calling us every name in the book, all the millions of dollars we've spent to rejuvenate this town, and they have to blah blah. And I and I know nothing at this time about right nothing. All I remember saying to my wife is, "I am so fired. I, I, I am so fired." I'm so fired. And then the Cincinnati Enquirer did a story on it. Every oh, TV station came in and rolled cameras while we played that stupid song. They called the new boss, who I didn't even know, in Nashville and ran him down. He told me this story later where they said, you know, we want to know what's going on at your radio station. And he's thinking they want to know about him being the new boss. And he starts giving him their biography and said, no, we want to know about this song that you're playing that's creating all the ruck. He knew nothing. <laughs> and so I'm thinking I'm so fired, but it was just the opposite because of all the press it got. We were in a war with another country radio station. There you go. You know, uh-huh. it made so much free press. The next thing I know, I'm part of a seven morning zoo that went in there and they fired the old guy to put me in there with this new group of talent. And it was you, all on the strength of that, you, that silly you, song. You, you, know? you, you shock jock you. Yeah. yeah. Who yeah. knew? <laughs> Who knew? <laughs> Ahead of your time. Who knew? You know? That's like that old saying, there's no such thing as bad publicity, right? Well, that's exactly, he yeah. knew that too. And yeah. he wanted to create, they'd been playing a lot of music in a row to compete and he wanted to stir it up and have personality radio and he saw in me that i could be a part of that 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 cluster and then eventually one thing led to another and my career took off and you know in morning drive radio but it all started with that stupid little song so i've been able to use my songwriting prowess you know and music prowess with 
with radio, you know, and and that and was in Cincinnati. That was in Cincinnati. Yeah, did and, you, you and, did work for WKRP. Did no, you? but that's always the joke. You know, everybody, <laughs> everybody, everybody thinks you did. Yeah, so, yeah. so I always tell kids, you know, kids will come up to me and say, you know, how how do I how do I get my songs played on on the radio? And I say, well, you know, do like I did, get your own radio show and play your own damn songs. <laughs> it's, a, it's a shortcut. You know, so. <laughs> make them make them fire me. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. I don't, I don't do. even think a lot of DJs even have that flexibility anymore. Everything's pre-programmed and digital, and they just punch a button. And, yeah, it's a I lot mean, tighter now, which is yeah. why I'm pretty much out of it now. So I, I was in at the right time when there was yeah. a lot of personality-driven radio. And if I had to do it all over again, I'd probably go to talk radio, which is kind of like the last bastion to really yeah. be able to do that. Now, Morning Drive Morning is Drive a little still different. Personality. It still needs more personality. But, but I think even they, with their uh, their music choices, are like all – they're just hitting a button. I don't think they're making that call. Yeah. They, they certainly have the personality to keep the audience engaged and things like that. Well, but. conglomeration. You know, there's three or four companies on right. every radio station in America now. So yeah. mom and pop radio stations where you could just be local and do the farm reports and obituaries. and yeah. think all, that's, all that's gone. Exactly. Right so how did you make the, the trip then from Cincinnati yeah. to music, music City? Uh, man, just this is my third tour of duty. I don't even know where to start. You know, just, you know, from Cincinnati... I got an offer to go to Milwaukee. That was uh, there a couple of funny things happened while I'm on the air in Cincinnati. I get a call from Portland, Oregon, and I'm I'm not making very much money, but thought I was making all the money in the world at the time. And they'd heard some tape on me, and they wanted me to fly out and interview and talk about doing their morning show. So it's very flattering. And the first time you do it, especially as a young person, they wine and dine you. And, oh yeah. And then they offered me triple the money that I was making in Cincinnati. And I thought, oh my God, you know? And so we thought we were going to go there. Long story short, Cincinnati countered and, and, and we stayed there for seven, eight years or whatever. And then out of nowhere came this unbelievable offer from Milwaukee to go up there and do their morning show, which I took. And that lasted six years. I went to Indianapolis for a great offer for a couple of years. And then that led to a call from the boss that I just told you about in Jeff City, who became the new boss at WSMFM Radio, yeah. which was out of the Opryland Hotel at the time. Yeah. And I became his morning man for a couple of years. That ended two years, and I thought I was going to be a full-time songwriter then and started and realized I was going to starve to death and uh, needed to get back into radio and put my resume out. And I had a contract on my desk from Pensacola, Florida. Which I would not have been bad because I love that part of the country, sure. as you guys know. It's at a, warm at, there. At a new station they were starting up called Cat Country. And basically, we were a few dollars apart when out of nowhere came an offer from the station I worked at at Cincinnati before and signed a five-year contract. And we went back to Cincinnati and did five more years of that morning show. And then when that ended, we had not sold our house. I moved back. And from that point on, I've done nothing but be a songwriter and entertainer out on the road for the last 17, 18 years or so. So that's kind of the short the short story you know so brad and brenda are heavy into the trop rock scene the, they've initiated me and my wife a little bit but i'm not as deep no pun intended in the water as a lot of them are but i know that's how brad knows you What's the story? How'd you get into the, into trop, the rock? trop rock genre? Yeah, and, it's uh, interesting because I'm not all in on anything. I'm just I'll just go wherever the wind wind. And I love trop rock music. I love that, and and that's largely because of the guest you had before, my best friend Brent Burns. Who's yeah. he was when I met him? I didn't even know about it, and he was very. The movement even hadn't happened. Brent was just that, and then trop rock sort of happened, and he's one of the older guys in it. But he and I became fast friends when you know a mutual friend introduced from Missouri. A mutual 
mutual friend that was my manager, Dean Raymer, introduced the two of us and took me to Lulu's one night to hear Brent. And when I heard him sing, if it's snowbird season, why can't we shoot him? <laughs> I thought, now this it's, is a guy I want to write songs with. And he'd recorded two albums at that point in his life. And now he's got, I think this is the 17th maybe. We just finished up together. But since that second album, we've written together. And there's probably, if you look on his albums, 60 of those are songs we wrote together you yeah. know, through the years. A combination of beach music and comedy songs. I want to talk uh, and about I love beach I want, music. And I want to talk about a few of those songs. Right. I want to get your impressions. You want an apology? Is that what you want? <laughs> there's one I do. Yeah, there's one. There's one I'm going to call you out on. Okay, go ahead. But I think the one that probably I know you get the most requests for, you know, I'm going ugly early tonight. Oh, song's been a blessing that's been a that's been a great song and you've had a few pretty notable people also re- record yeah your, your several songs. people i look on I youtube it. and sometimes i see it used in the most and unu- i saw it acted as a pantomime skit and like a some kind of <laughs> play where a guy broke a bottle over the girl the girl broke a bottle over the guy's head and just b- bizarre and i had a friend call me one night and said bill you ain't gonna believe what's happened he was at a barbershop quartet uh competition yeah and one of the quartets Sang it as a barbershop oh quartet song. You know, I'm going ugly early tonight, if you can imagine that. But then Cletus T. Judd, who is pretty noted, also sure, right, recorded right. the song, too, after he heard Brent sing it on a radio show. So you know? so for the uninitiated, I mean, I've heard the song, I know, and the title sort of tells it. But what what's the story in the song? What, well, you know? it's, it's yeah, it's, it's fair because uh, it's not what you think it Or you think it's what's beautiful about that song, if I can say that as a songwriter, we were blessed to come up with not just one twist on it, but a double twist at the end. So you, this guy settling, he's not going to go for the pretty girl. He's going to go for the ugly girl. He sees two girls at the end of the bar. Well, without him knowing it, you know, all of a sudden, the good-looking girl is making eyes at him, and he thinks he's moving up from a 2 to 10, only to find out that she's whispering in the ugly one's ears that she's going ugly early tonight. <laughs> and then the double twist is at the end is, hey, you know, she really hurt my feelings, but the truth is I'm really glad she's going ugly early yeah, tonight. Yeah. You know, so yeah, it's, it's, it's a, a nice double comedic very, twist at the end a, of the song. It's a wonderfully very written Very clever, very, uh, I could call it a comedy song, but yeah, it's uh, it's it's fun. But it's, but it's music Musically, it's a good song. Yeah, oh, it's, you know? in any genre, so I, even though it's us, it's just one of those blessings because it was so well written. I can play with the greatest songwriters in town, and I do a lot of time. Hall of Fame songwriters, and they fall out, you know, when they because they, they appreciate the art form of comedy sure. too. And a lot of those serious writers can't write comedy. It's a, it's another whole thing you know to itself and being able to be funny has gotten me into some circles i don't belong in you yeah know, sometimes yeah. So. so are you talking about like deep philosophical songs like if i had boobs yes and that got cut by cletus t judd too and that's an interesting story i cut that on my live comedy album we did at the bluebird over a couple of nights and cletus called me one day and said hey we're doing a new album and i had not met him before but he ran me down and he said we need another funny song he says you want to come in and talk to me and my producer maybe we can write something i said yeah so i went to down at sony sony on music row and there he was with his producer and i played several thoughts nothing and i said well you know i got this song on my album called if i had boobs and he said, well, play that. And they laughed. And he said, well, let's tweak it. Let's do something. And at that time, Kelly Pickler 
you know, who had been on Dancing with the Stars had gone right. out and bought herself a new set of headlights. And so, <laughs> and so we changed it into if I had Kelly Pickler's boots, you know, and he recorded it. And oh, it's, it's the state. You can find it on YouTube and it's really, and he got the Graskels, who are a Grammy winning, uh, bluegrass group to sing the harmonies on it with him, you know, so it's really, it's funny too. So then, right. And then we have Keith, uh, men fake it too. Yeah. Yeah. That's a, yeah. another yeah. deep philosophical, yes. Yeah. Uh, yes. deeply moving song. Yeah, yes. yeah. And there's a lot all, of good titles. We've most had. all these you can find YouTube uh, renditions of them on. They're all yeah, and, all Brent yeah. stuff. Something you know, and I haven't cut a lot of those because I've only got two albums. But Brent cuts all those. Exercise makes me look good naked, but so does beer. That fits your show, <laughs> yeah. you know, pretty well. Hey, so. that, hey that, so. that could be our new theme song. So. We're going to kick Dave Baker off. Funny how that is when you're talking about that. When I got that call from Oregon to do that morning radio show, I said, how did you find out about me? And they, they drop a composite tape every year at the country radio seminar, and our program director had done that, and I was on it. Well, there's this guy. When I first started doing the morning show, some some uh, the general manager, somebody thought it would be a good idea to do the joke of the day. And uh, and I hated that because I've heard all the jokes. If you're a comedian, <laughs> yeah. pretty much you've heard all the jokes. Yeah. So I said, okay, so I thought I'm going to hide this where nobody hears it. And we did it like the first break of the show at 5.15 in the morning or whatever. The first time we did it, a guy calls and he tells this corny joke. But at the end of the joke on the punchline, you hear, ba-ding. And his name was Chuck. And I said, I said, what is that, Chuck? And he said, oh, he said, I work at a gas station. And a car had just rolled over the, the pump line <laughs> right on the punchline and went, ba-ding. And so I said, man, that is awesome. I said, can you make that bell ring anytime you want to? And he said, yeah. He said, I probably can do that. And I said, you call anytime you want to. He said, I'm, I'm going to say, it's Chuck the filling station, man. You hit the bell. And when you do the punchline, hit the bell again. And it became a thing. A thing. It became a thing. And they heard that on that tape. And loved it. And what was really cool about we didn't pay the guy a dime. Yeah. We gave him concert tickets and sure. tried to take care. But the coolest thing about that is he got so much press that the Enquirer did a full-page article on him one time. Chuck the filling station, man. <laughs> and he got so much press that the Shell station made him a better offer to come across to get the free publicity. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, that's, that's good for business. Yeah. That's good sir. for business. Yeah. yeah. That's funny. Well, then, then, then he did one, though, that I'm, I'm just I'm pretty upset about. Keith. All right, yeah. So call him out, and then I want to hear about some of his Nashville connections and there's 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 one that I just thought kind of went over the line. I got a face for radio. No, it's (laughs) got it's got face in it though. Kenny Rogers' face. Oh. Now he com- was alive at the time. I'd like, to, I'd like to say he was too, alive. Too soon. Was yeah. he was alive when we I, wrote I, it. I realize that. I a little too near the roaster and alive, you know, at the time. I heard that. And, uh, I, I laughed. So you know what's funny anyway. about that song? What the hell happened to Kenny Rogers' face? Casey Jones also recorded a version of that, <laughs> but. I play on. I play out on the road with a trio called Evening in the Round that features Linda Davis, the Grammy winner, uh, and her husband Lang Scott. And they were with Reba for all those years. And Linda sang "Does He Love You" with Reba McIntyre, and their daughter is Hillary Scott with Lady A. So very noted music family. But I got invited to be part of their trio, and we've traveled the last ten years and played played theaters. Well, the first time we ever played together was at a little place in Leapers Fork, Tennessee, and I sang that, Whatever Happened to Kenny Rogers' Face. And I saw Linda just duck her head. <laughs> and then it hit me that she'd been on tour with Kenny Rogers. Ooh. And I, so I thought, man, that would be just my luck. You know, I'll be out singing with Linda and sing Kenny Rogers' Face, and I'll turn around and the gambler will be standing right behind me. You know, yep. But then I always go, well, he couldn't laugh, though. That's, 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 <laughs> that's, that's, that's the thing. So. <laughs> 
Tell, oh me, about, tell me about Steve Dean. Steve Dean is uh, he's in a second trio that I also play with a, a true songwriters trio that features me and Steve Dean and a girl named Victoria Veneer who's a powerhouse singer. We're actually going to be in Port St. Joe, Florida next Thursday for a songwriters festival. And Steve has written nine, I think nine number one songs in his lifetime. Wow. Some big old hits, including Watching You for Rodney Atkins, which was the most played song on radio of the year. It came out in Southern Star for Alabama and Roundabout Way and I hate him, you know. And he's, but he's my, he's my best buddy. And you probably saw that on Facebook that we had something really unusual and cool happen with Steve two weeks ago here in town. We played a corporate event at the uh, convention center and uh, for about 25 or six techie people out of Detroit and three songwriters, myself and Steve and a young lady who's going to be a star, Jenny Tolman. The three of us just did a traditional songwriters around and the last song. And, and I knew this ahead of time. The last song Steve did is a song called Hearts Aren't Made to Break, They're Made to Love, which was a number one song for Lee Greenwood back in the day. And Lee Greenwood was in the back of the room. And so toward the last course, I saw Lee just kind of sneak along the wall. And sure enough, when that last course came along, Lee came up and leaned right over Steve's shoulder and sang harmony with him on that song. His nice. number one song. What, which was a, such, what a thrill. Such a cool Moment, And then Lee went over to the piano and just told unbelievable stories about his career and his songs. And and certainly God bless the USA, which is wow. imagine those 23 or 24 people having that happen at their little private party. You know, it was a it was a very cool moment. So yeah, that great. is really cool. There, there Steve's was a great song. Well, if you look at the list of people that you've worked with, uh, collaborated with and been able to be around blessed. And, Pick a couple of good stories and just you know, what are some of the most memorable things that stand Gosh. out in your mind? Is like how was this? How was I ever lucky enough for this to happen? Well, certainly, my uh, both sides of the career have I've been able to be on stage with people I never even dreamed of being on stage with before. And a large part of that again comes from they've discovered I can write and hold my own, and they also know I'm funny. And funny adds another element to a lot of those shows that they can't can't do. So that's happened a lot. But certainly, radio. Doing radio has allowed me to interview or almost anybody I could have ever dreamed of in my life or have access to those kind of people. Shania, Garth, I mean, you, you just name them. And, you know, one of my favorite stories is we did our show one year for the uh, Academy of Country Music Award show, which was held in Hollywood at the time out at Universal. And they rented us a space. We had rooms at the old Hollywood Roosevelt Hotel, which is where the first Academy first Awards Academy show Awards. was ever held yep, right, right there. So we're in that historic place. And that week, the people that set all that up were in, were in a room with a broad Broadcast table. They would bring by a combination of the country stars that were going to be on the ACM awards and movie stars. You know, so you just never knew who was going to walk in the room. And uh, it was, I remember Donna Mills was there from Knott's Landing, and, uh, and and the one that really got me because I was a personal fan. Jim Backus walked in, who was Mr. Mr. Magoo, Magoo and Thurston Howard, and I was a fan. And yeah, I was a fan. And uh, and he was at the end of his life, and he actually had an oxygen tank with him and a doctor and his wife to make sure that he would be okay. And and he was great. And uh, it, it, when the mic was off, I just said, "Mr. Backus, I just got to tell you what a yeah you know, what a big fan I I am." And I'm not a germ. I rarely do that. Rarely even ask for an autograph as a broadcaster because there's a part of that. Uh, 
Sure. My, that's just not the thing to do right. to take yeah. take that kind of time with them. But he said, "Oh, he says he says, do you have my book, my new book?" And I said, "No, I, I don't." And he sent his doctor down Hollywood and Vine and bought the book and brought it back and signed it to me from Mister Magoo. You know, so nice. so, oh. so that that hangs and. Um, and the other, I, I just don't collect many autographs. Probably should have. Sometimes I do that, and they put them in front of you. But the one, another one that I did ask for came through Radio Two in an opportunity. When I was in Cincinnati, they had a celebrity baseball game, a mixture of media members and old pro baseball players. Yeah, Joe Torre was there, and the, the okay. likes of those kind of guys. And yeah. it was a mixed thing. Yeah. And I came in one inning and sat next to Tug McGraw, the great reliever for the Philadelphia Phillies back in the day, and Tim's dad, Timmy, Tim, Timmy, and Tim's dad. dad. There. He did not know until late in his life. Exactly, that's a, that's yeah. a movie in itself, yes, I, it I think. But I sat next to Tug, and he couldn't have been nicer, and there was a baseball right between us. And I just said, Mr. McGraw, I said, would, would you mind? He said, no, no, give me the ball. And he signed it, Tug McGraw. Kept it for years. And then when I took that job in Milwaukee, that radio job, one of the first things that radio station had me do was to go out and MC a concert at the State Fair which is in Milwaukee, and interviewed the headliner. And the headliner was Tim McGraw, who was just coming into his own. And I'll tell you another Tim McGraw right after this, this too. So I got to go on his bus and interview him, and I took the baseball with me. Oh, wow. And I showed it to him. He said, where did you get that? And I told him the story, and he said, let me have it. He signed the other side of it. Oh, wow. So I've got Tug McGraw and Tim McGraw on the same oh, baseball. Oh, my gosh. Which is cool. Which is really cool. That, that's I would a put great that one story. in the safe yeah. deposit box. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, obvious. It, I, I have very few signed things, but that's a trick. Yeah. And here's the other here's the other really funny Tim McGraw story through music. I was in, in Nashville at WSM FM radio. And the story had broken out about Tim McGraw and Kenny Chesney being in a fight with the cops in Buffalo over a horse. They took the cop's horse and they're 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 in a fight. You know, so it's all this press about it. So so I just got into Nashville and read that story and I took my guitar and I wrote a parody of Don't Take the Girl, which was a big hit for right. Tim McGraw, into right. Don't Take My Horse, Take My Billy Club, Take My Donut, but please don't take my horse. And, and I started playing it on my show. Yeah. Not realizing that if you tell a joke about country artists in Milwaukee and Indianapolis and Cincinnati, that's one thing. But if you do it when you're in Nashville, it's, there's a chance they're listening or the publicist is listening or right. the record label is listening. Yeah. So we, we played this thing three or four times and sure enough, the phone rang one day and it was a woman and she says, is this Bill White? And I said, yes, ma'am. And she says, are you the guy that wrote that don't take the horse song? And I'm thinking, uh oh. Here and comes. I said, I said, yes, ma'am, I am. She says, well, my husband wrote Don't Take the Girl. And, and there was a pause, and she said, and he thinks that's the funniest damn thing he's ever heard in his life. Would you send us a copy? Be happy to. Yeah. His name is Larry Johnson. Well, fast forward a year, and I'm in Gulf Shores, Alabama, for the Frank Brown Songwriters Festival. And Brent and I did a little set, and then I introduced three other songwriters who I did not know. First guy does a song, second guy does a song, third guy gets ready to sing, and he turns to me and on the microphone and says, before I sing a song, he said, I just want to say that Bill White wrote the funniest song I've ever heard in my life, and it was him, the songwriter. Oh, my goodness. That's how we met Larry Johnson. You know, so that's how my music and radio has just kind of combined. Well, we we could sit and talk and listen to these stories forever, but we do have uh, time constraints. So whatever you need. But we're going to segue into the third portion of our show, and it is radio-related. So it's our three top picks. Is this the close optional portion of your show? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. <clears throat> Just want to know. Be prepared here. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
We've never yeah. done. We've never we, done that we, before. We both have faces for radio, yeah, so that's okay. That's right. Yeah, but three top picks. The category, uh, and because you are have lots of great radio stories, is your three top radio moments or influences, uh, that kind of thing. We go one at a time, Bill. Okay. We let you go first. All right. And we'll, we'll each do one. We'll go around in a circle that way. So let's let's get started. What's your one of your top three? They don't even have to be in order. Uh, I'm gonna. I can't even pick top three. So I'm gonna give you a pass here, so you guys can tell your stories because the Jim Backus story is one of my favorite stories, okay. and I just told you that one about yeah. Mr. Magoo. That would be one of my favorites. All right. Well, we'll put that in your top three then. Okay. So, well, one of mine is growing up in uh, in Jeff City on the AM station. You know, this was. I don't think we had FM at the time, but there used to be an afternoon syndicated show called Chicken Man. And it was this comedy bit that they ran. It probably wasn't more than three or four minutes, but it it was episodic. And every day, if you tuned in at the right time, you would hear the next episode of Chicken Chicken Man. Man. He's He's everywhere. He's everywhere. I heard that. Yeah, and it was hilarious. And and the guy that did it, I should have done some more homework. The guy that did it actually did a couple of other of those spoof-type radio parodies that were episodic. And and it did – it had characters and and it was – Chicken Man was a superhero who was a dud as a superhero. He never, you know, he always got <laughs> failed. Called. He he failed it, but then he succeeded in spite of his failure. So, but it was very funny. So I think Chicken Man is probably one of the most, the first memory I have of regular radio programming that I, that I tuned into. And that's day. my, you know, still my favorite kind of radio. And that shows you how times have changed because you can't hardly find radio. It's not skit driven anymore or bit driven anymore. It's about real life and relatable. All that kind of changed. Yeah. I'm really gr- My favorite radio guy was Gary Burbank, who was in Cincinnati. And Gary's the voice of Earl Pitts American. And he, that's all he did was skit stuff. And I'd filled for him a few times and just yeah. learned at his feet. But that's all gone now. Yeah. I think kind of when Seinfeld came in and that observational humor took over, radio Radio's approach is a little different too. So yeah, very rarely do you hear a produced bit on the radio anymore. And no. this was this was syndicated. I mean, it went out to multiple radio oh, yeah. stations. But I have not fun. thought about Chicken Man in. You remember it though, right? Brad? Oh yeah, I do. It's everywhere. It's everywhere. Yeah, yeah, it is. Mine is. I am sorry, but I did not mention the fact that our. Our makeshift studio is at the NFIB office, of which I work, and uh, it is the National Federation of Independent Business. We are a trade association representing small businesses, mom-and-pop businesses, and uh, I want to thank NFIB for Certainly. letting us borrow their uh, their office. Great facility. We would appreciate it. My love of radio really comes through being interviewed and stuff on small business issues, and I went to one of these little bitty stations tiny little station and i'm sure at some point you've been involved with a format change for the the station so i walk in and uh, they said can we help you i said yeah my name is brad jones i'm state director for nfib and i'm here to talk you know with jerry about small business issues so they were going from a country format to an all-christian station consequently there wasn't a single person at that radio station that gave a shit about anything at this point. <laughs> Nothing. Because half of them were losing their job. Yeah, they checked And out. they had new people coming in. And so they said, oh, man, Jerry, yeah, um, he's not here. And I kind of went out of my way to get to this. But it was down south someplace. I mean, it probably had, you know, at least 
5,000 watts, you know, if you, oh, yeah. if you went out on yeah. the corner, you could hear, you could hear the station. Yeah. So they had this couch and so they wheeled in a couple of mics and this girl and said, now, who are you again? And we did the interview on this couch on this station that would be Christian like two days later. And, I just, I just left and, you know, it, it kind of reminded me almost of, you know, a brother where out there, I'm going to go to this station and, you know, I'm going to sing into this man's can, yeah. you know, it yeah. was, it was about that rural, oh, but imagine those first stations you were at were pretty yeah. pretty little I, I didn't I, I don't think i ever experienced a format change but you know i'm familiar they stunt a lot too when a radio station is going to switch a format because they deliberately want to get rid of you if you're <laughs> if you're one of the remaining fans they they don't want you listening to what's coming and a lot of times they'll they'll do something called stunning where you might turn in your radio station one morning and you're hearing nothing but polka music and the same song for three weeks in a row the same really? roll out the barrel and that's to blow that audience completely off and hide what's coming until they're ready to launch it and then one day the real format comes in i those, never knew that but it it quirks off those old listeners so bad that they and they don't want them they're going yeah. after a demographic di- different demographic and a different thing so that's, so that's that happens well too, maybe so. that's what was maybe that was what was going yeah, on they at were the station brand it happens on april fools too <laughs> yeah, it happens on april fools too i can remember one april fools playing a song called don't mess with my toot toot you know uh, all morning long is the only song we played, but I introduced <laughs> oh, it as gosh. seriously as here's Reba McIntyre's new song, and it would be that. And here's something from Johnny Cash, it'd be that. And listeners will call, you know, that's not really. And you just play, you, know, you just play check along. your calendar. I know. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, all right. Do you have a fun. second choice? Second story. I, I'll give you a lot of contesting goes on in radio. This is my favorite contest. I was ever involved with where you give something away to listeners. And when I first went to Milwaukee, again, the state fair in Garth was coming at the zenith of Garth. And so we had front row tickets to give away and and one set of front row tickets that included backstage access and a meet and greet with Garth Brooks. So we did a contest called What Would You Do to Meet Garth Brooks? And we're going to take the top five contestants, and then you're going to have to do whatever you say you will do on a live broadcast. So so all these things came in. Some of them were just stupid and vulgar and things you could never do on the air. But we went out and did the live broadcast, and I can remember there was a guy got a proclamation to make it Garth Brooks Day from the mayor. He came out. That was third place. Second place was a guy in a Speedo and a cowboy hat and a guitar and a chainsaw that sawed his Volkswagen in half while playing a Garth Brooks song. That was second place. That wasn't good enough to win. Wait, I, wait I'm trying to envision how you use a chainsaw and play guitar at the same well, time. Well, he took, so. he played the song, took the guitar oh, okay. off and then sawed the chainsaw right. in okay. half. So okay. you had to be there. Yeah. But the winner was this young man who <laughs> brought a pickup truck and had it all decorated like a barn with the, the doors that open at the top of the barn and straw bales in there and everything. And he had his mother dressed as a Holstein cow. We're in Wisconsin, folks. Wisconsin. Right. He's in. She's in a Holstein cow that he had rigged up electronically so that he could milk his mother. Oh, no. <laughs> and they got to go backstage with Garth. With a, and there's a picture of the milk streaming out of the udder. And the look on Garth's face, I was there, was just like bewilderment. Oh, <laughs> yeah. my God. But he signed it for him. So they got that that thing autographed. So oh, that's one of my favorite. And, and all that's designed to create because I'm a new morning guy that replaced a morning guy, and that's all to create talk and buzz and get people listening. Get people listening. You bet. You bet. Wow. So my my second one is um, this is teenage years. I was a classic rock 
listener, and there was there still is, I'm sure, a station out of Chicago, WLS. Oh, yeah. And we could get on the skip at night. We could pick up WLS. John Landecker. It was a John Landecker WLS boogie check. You bet. Every night, WLS boogie check. And so that was the, the nighttime show with John Landecker was something that we would I would listen to. And I would actually put it under my pillow. After mom and dad said go to bed, you know, and I'd I'd be listening to the radio after it was bedtime. Yeah, and then and essential was, listening. Back yeah, then. yeah, yeah. So that that's one of my top three. Did my, you have that too? No, oh, sometimes my, we double. No, up. mine's just lame. I mean, I'm sitting here with you know. <laughs> well, you do know what Bill radio White. is, right, yeah, Brad? I, I, yeah. It was yeah in the Hall of Fame of country yeah, music, yeah. and I'm I've oh, got this not, lame. This isn't thing. a competition. No, because we're going to no, lose. Because I'm losing. Yeah, we had a thing called the click clock quiz in the morning and I was about I like 10, and Tick I was about, and I was about 10 years old and I'm sitting there eating breakfast and we always had the click clock quiz every morning oh yeah I remember that and they asked the question and I went I know this and I went running into the to the telephone and I'm dialing it and no, I said it was like yeah 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 rotary so dial so slow yeah. so slow yeah. And I actually won at 10 years old. And the question was, because we just studied it, who was considered the father of modern rocketry in, in the United States? It was Robert Goddard. And I knew yeah, that. Yeah. And so I, you, what a th- that was my first, probably my first real radio career. I was on. They said, hey, congratulations, Brad Jones. I knew this. And, uh, yeah. yeah. I was, I was click about clock. And click, K-L-I-K was the station. Those are the call letters. Oh, and it was the oh, click sure. clock sure. quiz. Yeah. And I, they probably spelled clock K-L-O-K. And so, uh, yeah, yeah, that and, was a morning thing. And that's another radio thing. When you hear those branded radio stations, when they come up with the bull, the beaver, the cat, uh, all that is about is recall. So when you go to fill out a diary, if you get one, sure. it's easier for you to remember those names and those call letters, if it's called the cat, the bee, the some, as opposed to WMIL or WFMS right. or, yeah. or or whatever the station I went to was going to go to work for in Pensacola, Cat Country is the name of that, and they've been very successful through the years. But one of the things that was really hanging me up is every radio guy had to have a cat name, you know, Hobie Cat or Catfish <laughs> Bill, or and I'd have worked all these years as Bill White. I tell the program director now, who's still a good friend, I said, you know, the reason I didn't take that job, and he said. Well, and I said, because I didn't want to say, good morning, you're listening to Hairball Bill on Cat Country 95.5. You know, so yeah, so so there's that. So so my, yeah. fav- my favorite radio story All right. is uh, I always consider this to be the best day I ever had on the air, and it's also the worst day I ever had on the air, all at the same time. And that's because I was doing the morning show at WSM-FM at the Opryland Hotel one morning, and we had a songwriter's corner once a week, and the, the songwriter had just come in, Bruce Robinson, who uh, was with the Dixie Chicks and wrote all these big hits, and I never met him, was looking forward to it, and I'll never forget, he's down below me where I can't see him opening his guitar case when the hotline rang, which is a line you have to pick up because it's from the boss or whatever, and you need to pick that up so i picked it up tim murphy was my boss and he said have you guys got the tvs on and i said no and he said well turn them on you know and turn them on right now so so i told my producer the, the tvs were behind him sure. i'm looking right and he turns them on and we're live and i'm looking at it and i'm trying to think what in the, what am i looking at here and then when the second plane hit the second tower yeah. i realized what was going on yeah and i can remember saying we're at war and uh 
it was just unbelievable. And I remember Bruce Robinson getting up and looking and just standing quietly and watching the TV with us. And we never turned the microphones off. And he finally shut his guitar case and shook my hand. And to this day, I've never said a word to Bruce Robinson. Wow. He left silently. And the, the entire radio community here in Nashville, every other radio station went to network news. They cut away to ABC or NBC, whoever their affiliate was. My program director left me on the air. So I was on the air from five o'clock in the morning until about nine o'clock that night, uh, taking phone calls. And, and we had a, a really great reporter that would constantly break in and give us the latest news. And so I covered that all day long, you know, and then went home to see my wife and daughter scared like the rest of America sitting on the floor and watching the continual news. But I always consider that my, my best moment because it was an honor to be chosen to be that representative for yeah. the audience and certainly the worst moment as a human being and being scared like everybody yeah. else was. So I don't know that I can follow that. No, I, no. And the one I have is, is the third one is so, so incredibly, it's even lamer than the other I, I two. Do have, I, I do have a couple, an honorable mention and it's, uh, we are a non-political show, but I think I'm going to approach this from how he changed radio, the face of radio and especially news talk radio. And that's, Rush Limbaugh, the way he just totally changed the the face of news talk radio, uh, where people and diners would gather. Yeah. Whether you love him, hate him, agree, disagree, whatever the case was, he certainly was a pioneer in the radio business. And for those of us that have done done some radio, to do a three hour show oh. every day, that's that's really where no it, what gets me. I'm where like, it's all on you. You're not cutting and, away to play music. Yourself, it's all yeah, you. By he, yourself, not even a co-host. He didn't do. Not. He didn't do a lot of interviews either. No. Um, occasionally he did, but I mean, it wasn't an interview show. It was pretty much him for yep. three three hours. Yeah. But my third one really has to be, and this is going to be a little self indulgent, I guess, is the fact that when Brad asked me to co-host a Saturday morning radio show one time uh, as guest host, and um, it evolved into the podcast because people liked what they heard and we didn't want to commit to a live Saturday morning show every week. So we started a podcast doing what we like to do this way. And, uh, it's been great fun for the past two years. So cheers, brother. Good for you guys. Well, and, and my number three is, um, I don't know, uh, Bill, if you've ever done a uh, wine tasting at eight o'clock in the morning, but Keith and I have. <laughs> I, I have not. <laughs> Keith and uh, I, you know, my radio bosses, my radio bosses frowned on that. So. Yeah. Well, well, one of those, uh, one of those shows we did, we had, uh, Jim Anderson, who's a good friend of ours and is head of the Missouri Wine and Grape Board. Uh, basically he's the, the executive director of the Missouri Wine Association. And so he brought in some of the governor's cup winners and stuff. And so, oh, cool. so, uh, I don't know how that translates, but we didn't care. No. Uh, they don't pay us, and yeah. so we were like, "Yeah, we do a wine tasting <laughs> well, at eight o'clock in the morning." And we thought we were going to be groundbreaking. We found out later that we were not even the first to do wine tasting, <laughs> let alone at eight o'clock in the morning. So you know, it wasn't as revolutionary as we thought it was, but it was fun. Well, and it's an honor to be asked you're, to be on the radio to have anybody to ask you to be. You know how thrilled you are the first time you're in a radio station. I mean, it's thrilling to do yeah. that. It's it's not work, you know. Yeah. It's a pleasure. I did the Simonson School Report, and oh, I went yeah. down it's and, a, it's great. and I've, you know, man, it's, I was it's so great. It is twelve thirteen. Man, I got asked, uh, and I did. I think I did it more than any other. I filled in for Bob Kingsley more than any other host in the country. I think I did his show four times. The syndicated top forty country music countdown that he did for years yep. and years and years before he passed. Country radio broadcast uh, induction the night he was given the Lifetime Achievement Award while I was there. 
but it's interesting because his place is in uh, a little town north of Dallas unbelievable studio and they take you in there and the script is written and it was easy for me and you got you got a producer across the glass but in in los angeles in your ear is the casey Kasem producer that did the other countdown he also produced yeah. bob kingsley show and he'd be in this ear and they'd walk me through well i got to do that thing four time coast to coast which was such a thrill and the fourth time I'll bore you with the story. The fourth time I was there, after I got done, his wife, Nan Kelly, who who ran the operation, called me in the office, and I never met her. And she just said, Bill, we really like what you do, and would you consider doing this a lot more, you know, like on a full-time basis? And I said, what's happening to Bob? And said, well, he wanted to pull out. You know, he's, he's into cutting horses. They got a big ranch. He wanted to do yeah. more things, and they were going to insert him in the shows, but they were going to have somebody else possibly carry the the, the brunt of it and i was in cincinnati at the time said you don't have to move you don't have to do anything our engineers will hook up the stuff in your studio and you can go in and take you an hour and every year you'll be coast to coast and they'd pay me a little money you know for that man i was like i was excited and right about that time his syndicator abc switched his contract was up and kicks brooks started hosting that show oh, okay. so, he's doing so it now, he had he? To, he had to go and find another which he did another another syndicate for uh coast to coast but that meant that he couldn't come off the air you know because he had to compete against kicks yeah. at the time yeah. so that ruined my chance of going coast to coast you know all casey Kasem was very important well he uh, was his, he was iconic because yeah. as kids i remember new year's eve was our big thing because you listened to casey's uh Year year end countdown, yeah. and you try to figure out okay which which of those songs was number one the longest, and we 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 would kind of have a little competition to well, see which one we thought. Well, even the weekly top forty countdown every week was you know what's what's hot, what's what, what have I heard, what have I not heard is my favorite song in the top you know. And he's top 10. and he's as famous for a tape that didn't make the air as he is for mm-hmm. you know the stuff that did make the air. You yeah, know? So. I thought it was interesting that those shows were sent on a on a on a record. Oh yeah, they were sent the on day. a disc. Yeah, yeah. I can yeah. remember in, the, in KPCR every Sunday we played those kind of discs that came from the Armed Forces. They they did country music shows and they came on a big thirty three and a third RPM record and you just wow. put a needle on it and let it let it track. If you were really good in those days with vinyl, you know, I knew a guy. The town of Bowling Green was about two miles maybe from that little radio station just outside of town. Mm-hmm. He'd put on a long playing album and jump on his motorcycle and go get an ice cream at the Dairy Queen and make it back before the and there'd be nobody in the building. Well, the record just be tracking. All know, DJs so. knew the, the bathroom song. Yes. You know, the song that American was... American Pie was one of the great... American Pie. Yeah. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Stairway to Heaven, I think, was a bathroom all song. Those. All those with long guitar solos. If you solos wonder and, why they got played so much. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. I got to go pee. A smoke break. Hey, yeah. I got... I, I know we're running out of time, but there, there are two venues that I want to ask you about sure. real, real quick. One is, and they are iconic, and I think I think our bon vivants would, would love to hear your response. One is the Bluebird Cafe. Nothing like it. I've been once. As a matter of fact, I was with Tom Baker. It was a religious experience. It was one of the coolest things I have ever done Still in my life. Still the holy grail for songwriters. Yeah, it is. Know? It is. And you have been fortunate enough to actually uh, record in there. Yeah, we recorded my first live comedy over a cup of color, And we just played there a few months ago with our Hits and Grins trio. And it's, it's always sold out. You can't hardly get a ticket. You have to order way, way, oh. way in advance. But what's so great about it, it's a small room. Very intimate. 80? And they're like Gestapo that you're going to listen. If you don't listen. 
listen, you're out. About you 80 know? people? About 80 people at yeah. that. And yeah. everybody you can name is, has played there, yeah. you know, at that yeah. little place. So it's it's magical. If that you Brooks, can ever get a ticket. That Brooks boy kind of got a break. Yeah. Know, playing and get, Taylor getting, Swift get, did, too. Getting here. Yeah, Taylor Swift there. was discovered at yeah. the Bluebird Cafe. The so. other the other place that uh, is the Mother Church, uh, the Ryman Auditorium. Yeah. Have you played the Ryman? Have you had a chance I've to do I've never, you know, on my bucket list, I don't have many things. I've been so blessed where there's only a couple things that I have not clicked off. And that's, that was my mom's hope that someday I'd be a Grand Ole Opry member and singing. That's not, that's not going to happen and never happen. But I did, uh, I have been on the stage. I've been on both stages several times. And the Ryman story was, is pretty incredible because Joe Diffie asked me to emcee his charitable concert he, he did for, Kids, a couple of years in a row. And one year, the first year I was there, I'd never been on the Ryman stage. I'll get all choked up telling the story right now because I can remember uh, standing in that circle of wood out there, you know, on, on the end of being overwhelmed by it. And I just shared with the audience, I was between acts. I was between Winona and Keith Urban. And everybody's just playing acoustically. No bands are all just walking out with their guitars. And I remember sharing with the audience before Keith walked out how much my mom would have. Yeah, would have loved, yeah. would have loved yeah. to have seen that moment. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm telling this story, and I feel an arm go around me. And Keith Urban had walked out and put his arms around me and said, "Bill," he said, "I think your mom's here." You know, <laughs> so. So oh, that's so, a great story. Yeah, there's well, we nothing. Just, there's just, nothing like everybody should go see the Opry at the Ryman Auditorium or any show for that matter. The Mother Church with those wooden pews, yeah, yeah. the renovation they did, they almost tore it down. Had not you know a, a contingent of Roy Acuff and Ricky Skaggs and people like that. Marty Stewart fought for it. It's so beautiful. It's the best acoustical theater in America still. And all you have to do is go listen once, and you'll know what I'm yeah. talking about. It's truly. A magical place, and now there's a museum there and a film, and there's a whole lot more it's to it. It's a great now tour. If you're in Nashville and just want to, yeah. you know, a, a tour, it's a great tour. Yeah, it is a great tour. Yeah. Well, so. Brenda and I went, and we took the tour, and you know, I was just shocked that you know you've got those little steps in the front, yeah, and they've got your little podium there that's got WSM on it, and you get your and, picture, taken. and you can go up on there, yeah. and and I know that emotion. Yeah, I sat, I stood there, and I was like. If these walls could talk, I mean, you, you just kind of went. And you, I look over at Brenda, and she's crying. And we was like, "Man, this place, good. this place is something." That's good yeah. for you. You know, I didn't even talk about you know the last. I'm pretty much out of broadcasting now, but the last six or seven years of my broadcast career was was at the 6:50 a.m. WSM, which carries the Grand Old Opry. Yep. So with yeah. all of that history, it was such a great way for me to finish my career. I kind of became their on-call guy and did their morning show when the guy had to be gone a lot and got to sit. And again, that's an overwhelming experience because when I was a kid in Missouri playing in that first band, we'd come out of these little honky-tonks, and the first thing I would do would be to turn on Ralph Emery in 6:50 a.m. WSM and listen to the all-night show and dream about being a disc jockey on WSM. Yeah. And then when I found out what it what it paid i realized i didn't want to be on wsm so much compared to where i was at the time but at the back end of my career when i was basically done it was at the right time in my life and such a blessing to say that i got to crack open a microphone and say you're listening to 650 a.m wsm well in the midwest in the midwest if you had a mount rushmore of of radio stations you got wls out of chicago you got kmox out of st louis another great radio station i was a big jack carney fan of kmox for years 
years. Bet, and then and then WSM, you yeah. know. Um, so. Well, and that's why those little one bedroom, one thousand watt radio stations had to shut down at night, so that you didn't interfere with the signal of those fifty thousand watt blowtorches, right. like those stations you just mentioned, and WHO yeah. in Des Moines, and, and Bill Mack out of uh, Dallas, and you know Charlie Douglas and WWL in New Orleans. They'd blow across the country. Was it K A A Y in Little Rock? K A A Y. I couldn't. I'm I, not. I, I was thinking there was a big one out of Little Rock that we I'm picked not up sure. too. So. I'm not sure. Well, Bill, we could tell stories. We could listen to you tell stories for hours, and we we might have to do a second installment of this over the phone sometime just to hear more. So uh, this has been <laughs> I might, very enjoyable. I might get you and Uncle Brent on together sometime. Well, that'd be, oh, that'd be right. Just, yeah, that'd yeah. Be right. I just sit back and just let it go. Yeah. We we know where each other's bodies are buried. Bon vivants, thank you again for joining us. Uh, we're going to sign off for this episode and stay tuned. We've got some more Nashville episodes coming up. Thank you for joining us. We do. Thank you, Bobby Vance. And hey, cheers. We Like That Too is produced as a labor of love for the enjoyment of Bon Vivants everywhere. To get information about our bottles and links to our guests, go to our website, welikethatpodcast.com. Tune in to new episodes by subscribing on Apple, Spotify, and other popular streaming apps. Please remember to rate, review, and share. And be sure to follow us on Instagram and Facebook at We Like That Podcast. So everybody, hey, remember the numbers. One bottle, two good friends, and three top picks because we We like like that that too. too. We like that too. We like that too. We like that too. We like that too.